want to share that juicy bit of gossip we have on somebody else. We all know that when your spouse or your kids push your buttons, you just want to lash out, you want to, you, want to, you know, whatever it may be. It's not just about not sinning, by the way. Freedom in our life isn't just about staying, although it is stay away from the hedges is often the good, the good thing, but it's actually getting to a place where we no, want to, no longer want to sin in that way. In fact, freedom is about allowing Jesus to do a deep work on the inside of us that he heals a broken aspect of our lives that we no longer want to feed it. He wants to deal with the beast so we no longer have to feed it, but also then he wants to lead us in a way that we can Develop self-control so that actually when the opportunity presents itself, we just walk on by. That's what repentance is. It means to turn the other way. So it means that not only does he deal with the brokenness, but he also can, you know, a fruit of the spirit is self-control, right? He wants to lead us in a place where we can walk on by when it comes. So if you're taking notes, there's four things I want to look at in Colossians 3 that will sort of help us to overcome. They're not... Uh, finite in their own. There, there's much more in, in Colossians that I encourage you to go, go look at. You'll get a lot more out of it. But there's just four things as I, as I was skimming over and I was looking that I really felt like the Lord wanted us to look at and how we can deal with the pressures and the temptations that come in life, all right? First one is this. We need to think clearly, okay? You need to think clearly. Verse one says this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. You see, you and I are called to focus our minds on the things that pertain to Jesus and his kingdom. That we are to be so single and laser focused that we focus on what truly matters in life. How many of you know that the current or the modern uh, human attention span is less than that of a goldfish? Everybody else is like, what was he saying? <laughs> You forgot already, right? It's that of seven seconds. And it's because today's age and today's uh, information age is we have so much information, we have so much advertising at our disposal that it's, it's seeking to get our attention. I mean, for so the, some of you guys who are younger, and I'll let you just decide if you use this or not, but like the likes of TikTok, you know, Snapchat, or even Facebook now is, they do those seven second reels. Some of you guys will know. You're like, you, ha- you, can't, you can't think more than eight seconds. You go, ah, you're on the next one, you're scrolling. Or even now the news articles are, are much smaller. If you go on the BBC app, it actually warns you, this is a long read. Because it's like people don't want to get halfway through and go, I've lost my attention span. I mean, that's very, very genuine and very real. Some of you guys around here may be a bit older. Do you know that actually if you're reading the newspaper, the articles will be that bit smaller? At the palm of our hands, when it's TV or whatever it may be, we have access to so much content that our brains can't keep up. Some of you are now putting your phones away. You're like, oh no, I'll put that away, right? We have so much information that it's distracting our attention and it's reducing our brain's ability to stay focused. So before you lose attention on me, right? Paul tells us to have, when Paul tells us to have our minds focused on heavenly things, he's not saying that we walk around with our, our heads in the sky, our heads in the cloud. To be so focused, you know, there's this saying, some of you might know is, you know, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I mean, I like and I dislike that because also you can be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. There has to be a place where we have, and what does it look like to have a healthy balance? You know, we can't walk around hoping that all the issues going on in our lives will be solved when Jesus returns. Now, that is true. 
But actually, to be so heavenly focused means that we become serious about keeping our attention and our focus on the promise that we get to see the reality of his kingdom come into our situation. That we get to see the reality of his kingdom come into our relationships. That we don't have to struggle. Do you know you don't have to struggle your way to heaven? But in fact, Jesus wants to bring heaven into your struggle. You don't have to struggle. A lot of churches will preach, you know, you know, and we have to rightly so get a theology of heaven and we have to have a focus on Jesus' second coming. But when we so focus on that, that, that we fail to realize that God wants to come in his kingdom and his power and his rule and dominion in your life here and now. Repeat after me. Every struggle has a solution. Every sin has a savior. Because of the spirit of God who lives in me. In order to walk that out, in order to stay focused, we need to get our minds in gear. Now, nobody here, you all drove here this morning, hopefully, or maybe you took a horse and car, I don't know. Somebody find that funny? <laughs> nobody aims to start a car by driving in third gear, right? But nobody equally tries to drive down the M1 in first gear. I mean, some of you probably did, right? You probably, those two scenarios will either cause, one, you to wreck your engine, or two, to cause a car crash. And the thing that stops our minds and the things that stops us walking out that daily transformation and the thing that actually causes our lives to feel like a car crash at times is that we don't know we're dead. <laughs> Andy's like, what? We don't know we're dead. What do I mean? Paul says, for you died, in verse three, for you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ. Anybody remember those old West, Western posters? Some of you are like, oh, I love uh, Clint Eastwood and those guys. You know where it's the, the wanted posters that say, wanted dead or alive. Do you know Jesus wants you dead and alive? <laughs> now you're going, huh? We're not, we're not going back to the paradox series, by the way, right? Yeah, anybody you know, has been around, you remember we did a paradox series. It is a paradox. Jesus wants you dead and alive. In other words, we are to die to live in to the old patterns of behavior that we used to live. To the, we are to die to the old culture of values, values that we all grew up in. And we have to start living to, under his new, uh, a, a new set of his kingdom. It means mentally that we make a decision on the inside of us that we cannot keep living out this Christian life with the belief systems and with the habits that we used to have before we were Christian. But so many of us, we don't realize that that's a vital part of discipleship. Because if we try to, if you try to live with one foot in each camp, if you try to live dead or alive instead of dead and alive, we get confused. Our mind gets muddled up. Remember, confusion is where there's been two or more alternatives placed in any given scenario. We have to decide that we're going to follow God. That's how our mind initially becomes quite clear. And that if we want to release, if we want to see the internal pressures or the internal confusions released, there comes a point where we have to decide whose voice are we going to follow. So once we do that, the second point is we need to act decisively. We need to act decisively. Paul puts it like this in verse 8. Put off all these things, which is anger, wrath, malice, filthy language, or lying to each other. But rather in verse 12, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. To live, 
the transformed life, to live as a daily disciple, is to be someone who adopts the new habits of a transformed life. Anybody here love adopting a new habit? Nobody put their hand up, by the way. <laughs> Why? Because habits require change. Anybody here, I used, I used to grow up in a, um, a denomination that loved Lent. I know we, we do it often, but there was that idea where I actually have sent to Hannah. Prayer and fasting's coming up. Uh, you know, I, I don't look forward to it. I love food. But the habit of praying and fasting, the habit of letting go things, I don't like. Because remember, to let go of things is a loss. It requires loss. Change requires loss. To develop and to break old habits requires a change of only thinking, but also a change of behavior. It requires us to let go and to lose. It's a transition, right? But anybody who's trying to, to break old habits, whether it's been smoking, drinking, in any sort of capacity, or whether it's been healthy eating, or whatever it may be, or you know, trying to save money, we know the extreme intentionality it takes Maybe just because nobody put up their hand, I think we should maybe start a, a habits club. Maybe we should start something where we just like cause each other to, here's your homework. See you by next Sunday. And I remember these things, all right? <laughs> by next Sunday, I want you to go away and ask the Lord. Some here are looking at each other going, I wish I didn't come today. I want you to go away and, and see what habit the Lord might want you to develop in, in your spiritual life, in your, in your relationships, whatever it may be. What is one habit? I don't want you to go away and think about 30 because you're never going to do it. Think of one's hard enough. One spiritual habit, whatever it may be, I'll let you decide. I'll not give you any ideas, but go away. And it can't be, you know, not to read your Bible <laughs> or whatever it may be. You know, a habit that leads you closer to Jesus. Go away and think about that there and then come, we'll, we'll look at it and we'll maybe start a habits club, okay? I have a wife, she can remind me. So whatever it may be, the habit, whether it's trying to eat healthier, you know, get up earlier, read your Bible, None of these come by living out the old patterns that we used to, used to live out. None of these patterns can be established and formed if we keep doing the same old thing. I love how, it said, how somebody said it this. Somebody might have attributed it to Einstein, but, Einstein, but when I was seeing this in Google, they were like, actually, it was wrongly attributed, okay? But insanity is doing the same thing over and over again while expecting different results. Let me say it again. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over while expecting different results. We can't live out the transformed life by living in the same old habits that we used to have. Now, our habit does not bring about a transformation. It's important we say that. But rather, they steward the transformation. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit's job to do the work in us. It's our habits that walk that change out. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit's job to do the work in us, but it's our habits that walk that out. For example, it's the Holy Spirit's job to reveal the things of Scripture. We can't read Scripture without, you know, the Holy Spirit. But it's the habit of reading Scripture that brings us a language and a logic to it. Do you know, you know, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. What it's really important is, we know that Scripture is the, is the, you know, the living, breathing Word of God, right? But you cannot read that without the Spirit of God enlightening your mind. So it's important to know that any habit that does not at its heart have a desire to bring you into an encounter with a living spirit will become ritualistic and legalistic. Let me say that again. Any habit at its heart, at its core, that isn't leading you to a place of encountering the living God will become ritualistic and legalistic. Therefore, acting decisively in our lives is to make a conscious steps forward to walk in daily in the Holy Spirit. 
You see, the habit of swearing, the habit of, of, of not getting plastered on a night out, the habit of, you know, whatever it may be, they display a, a heart that is transformed to a world that's seeking freedom. Removing the habit of gossip doesn't make God love you more. But it does, however, give room for the power and love of God to be displayed in your life. Because the opposite of gossip, by the way, is someone who has the habit of giving value and honor to another person. Which positions you and I to be vessels for the Spirit of God to, to come into the room. It positions you and I for the Spirit of God, the, the God of the impossible, to come into a relationship. So whenever you see someone walking in integrity or kingdom habits, it's the Spirit of God become. They're creating a place for the Spirit of God to be a landing pad on. Paul says this in verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgive you. This is because, and I really believe, and it's something that you will always hear in our community us talking about when it comes to not only developing a culture of honor, but also a culture of covenant in the church, is that forgiveness is one of the most underrated habits of displaying honor in a community. Forgiveness for each other is one of the most underrated habits. Remember, habits are hard. Habits require change. Habits, habits cost us something. To live out a transformed life is going to cost you everything. And too much of our, our evangelical and our Christian words promise a cushy, easy, convenient Christian life. And it sets people up for failure. But actually it's by the power and the grace of Jesus that we actually are not set up for failure because anything that God calls us to, it is by his grace we can do it. You know, the habit of forgiveness is actually the only tool where you can display honor to, both, to God, yourself, and the other person all at the same time. Hi. Well, let me explain it like this. When you choose to let another person when you choose to let another person off the hook for something they've done to you, you display to them that there's a God who forgives. To a culture that says, chuck somebody under the bus, to a culture that says, treat someone how they treated you, scripture calls it an eye for an eye, we call it karma, you might call it anything else, you, somebody might go, huh, you're bad luck, you know, anything that it might be, what goes around comes around, all those types of things. When we choose to forgive someone, we display honor by displaying that there is a God who forgives. Not only do we value the command that Jesus gave us, but you value yourself. Do you know forgiveness is valuing yourself? Not that it's all about us, but we value ourselves by moving on in life and allowing our minds to get a place of peace and rest. Do yourself a favor, forgive. You see, we must be ruthless. I'll bring back the joke, right? We must, we must be ruthless in acting decisively when it comes to holding short accounts toward each other in this community and the churches around. We cannot afford to leave a crack in the door for bitterness to come in or for the foundations of a grudge to be cement in our lives and our hearts. You see, as we act decisively, it leads to me to my third point. We need to live accountably. We need to live in community. You see, Paul says in 15, this is all Colossians 3.15, by the way, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Be thankful and let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and advise each other with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Essentially what we do when we get together. 
Because anyone who is, for any of us who have tried to overcome a challenge or develop a new habit in our life, we know we will only be successful in doing so by the support structure we have around us. If you want to develop a new habit, if you want to develop a, or overcome a new challenge or pressures in your life, the only, our success rate is linked to the structures, the support structures around you. In fact, Proverbs 11 says, 11, 14, excuse me, says, for the lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. For a lack of guidance, for a lack of teaching, a nation falls. For a lack of counsel, a nation falls. But victory is won through many advisors. Culture today elevates the lonely road. Culture today elevates the lone ranger. Culture today, you know, widespread in Western culture in particular, individualism, and it's coming into our churches. I mean, you only have to look at the Adidas adverts where it shows the lady running in the city in the middle of night on her own. Or the fellow who's up at like four o'clock in the morning, you know, doing the daily grind in the gym by himself. Now, these pictures aren't bad because we need to have alone time. We need to have time where we spend time with ourselves, right, of course. But it's when we see, and I think maybe two pictures, I've just done a quick Google search. It, it, the, the, it comes an issue when we see motivational pictures of someone standing on the top of the mountain by himself, which paints a picture that success looks like getting to the top by yourself. I mean, forget the quote, I don't endorse the quotes, but a man on the top of the mountain didn't fall there on his own. But there's a next one as well, if it's there, Johnny. Um, no? Um, anyways, it's that picture of actually we get to the mountaintop by ourselves. Has anybody here earned something deep and worthwhile by yourself? It could be a personal goal. But those things that actually are deeply, whether it's you know, establishing a family, whether growing your faith, whether you know, it's, it's running a certain you know, achievement and so on, we never did those things on our own. And culture is beginning to paint pictures, just three, that was just a simple Google search. But you'll see it in adverts. It, it, it projects the Lone Ranger. It, it idolizes the celebrity culture of, of get to the top by yourself. Get to the mountaintop by yourself. And it does paint the picture that success is, is attainable by doing it all by yourself. Elevating individualism, it actually leaves people wondering why they can never seem to overcome pressures or to break free from cycles of bad habits. It leads people to disillusionment. Now, you might have heard some of these leadership quotes that went around. They go around, you know, every now and again. And in some ways, there's truth to them, right? You know, the first one is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Anybody heard of that one? You know, or you're the average of the, the five people you surround yourself with. These are true. However, if the people you're surrounding yourself with are not seeking the Holy Spirit, who only is the one who has the power to help you overcome those, those external pressures, then you will only end up adopting the same coping mechanisms that they themselves have. Let me say that again. If you're surrounded by people who are not seeking the Holy Spirit, who is the only one who can help them overcome the pressures in life, you yourself will only start developing the same or adopting the same coping mechanisms they themselves use. And yet so many of us then begin to make small daily decisions that help us cope with the pressures of life. I mean, I say it all the time. It's just something I love. Jesus didn't come to give you coping mechanisms. Jesus came to set you free. Jesus did not call you to a transformed life full of coping mechanisms. He, came, he called you to a transformed life, which is freedom, and that's a possibility. That's why we have faith. You see, 
Jesus didn't come to help us cope and tolerate with sin. He came to eradicate it. Do you know Jesus came to eradicate the sin in your life? But oftentimes we don't know how to talk about it because we actually don't have the tools in life to manage it and to do it. It's why I love some of our counseling stuff, but it's also why I love developing a community of honour. And, and as we do grow and as we develop as a church, we will have a community that is, that is so able in honour to, to hold each other to account, not through shame, but encouragement and having each other's back, that actually we will begin to see, you know, through team and through, through community, we'll begin to see actually people break free. And in order to walk in that freedom, we need people around us who in love, like I says, can help us see the things we can. Anybody got any blind spots? Nobody put their hand up. Let me ask it again. Has anybody here got any blind spots? That's not a trick question. Maybe because you don't know if it's there or not because it's blind. Huh, right? Can I tell you something? You all do, right? There's four types of blind spots I like to, I like to talk about, okay? There's... If you imagine a grid, okay, the four different boxes, just for those who are maybe a bit more, you know, we have a couple of engineers in the room as well. The first blind spot is the things that we can see, but others can't. It's known to us, but it's not known to anybody else. It's those wee things we do that you know of, but the others don't. The second one is the things that others can see in us, but we can't see in ourselves. That's why when somebody, usually your spouse, Calls it out and you're like, no, no, no. And then you go, Mervyn's laughing because he, he, you know, you must have had that blind spot called out a bit. The rest of them aren't honest, Mervyn, I'm just saying. The third one is this, because you all think I'm going to catch you out. I'm not, I'm on your team. I'm on your side, all right? The third one is the things that we can see and also others can see. It's those, you know, I talk too much. It's a habit I have. You all know that and I know that. I'm working on it, okay? Praise the Lord for his grace, and, right? So that's a, that's a blind spot. It's not a blind spot because we all know about it, right? But then there's the fourth one. And it's those things that we can't see and nobody else can see either. It's hidden to all of us. Now, I'm not talking about us all becoming introspective monks and we just start looking inward all the time. No, because remember, you'll go on a downward spiral if you do that. But that fourth one is often why we need the Holy Spirit. Anybody had a conversation? Usually it's a very, very, you know, vulnerable conversation with, a, you know, it's whether it's your spouse, someone that, you know, sits across the seat and mentors you or counsels you, whatever it may be. And you're having a conversation and you're, you're struggling with something and you don't really know what it is. And then you're talking to them and you're processing. They don't obviously know what's going on or else I would have told you, but you're trying to figure it out. And all of a sudden, you're, as you're processing, the light bulb moment goes on. Anybody had those? That's what happens, but the Spirit of God meets us in that fourth one where there's things that are blind to us and the other people. It's the light bulb moment comes on. You see, we all have things that we're blind to, areas of our lives that we need help seeing. But those who have no interest whatsoever in living the victorious life, remember, it costs you everything. Those who have no interest in living the victorious life will say to you, Oxier, you don't need to be looking at your blind spots. Everybody has them. It's fine. Just leave the blind spot there. You know, let's cover up. Sure, whatever harm did a wee white lie do? Whatever harm did that wee bad habit do? I mean, it's only small, right? It's way down here. We all know we have them, right? What's one gossip session going to do? It's not going to hurt anybody. What's crazy, one crazy night out going to do? Surely that's not going to bring any harm. What one blow up with their spouse or kids is, sure, that was justified anyway. They really have the spirit of stupidity, right? Or sure, what about people pleasing? I mean, if I do that once more, if I just do that, surely that won't bring any harm. That won't bring any, any, uh, any hurt. It's the false belief that small bad habits 
don't make that much difference. It's the small bad habits that don't matter that much. Did you know that your life, and I agree and disagree with this, but your life is a sum total of the small decisions you make. Your life is a sum total of what Jesus did in the cross, by the way. But let's say this, your patterns of behavior are the sum total of the small decisions you make in life. That those seemingly small wee decisions those wee daily choices made over and over daily, daily become how you deal with pressure. I'll put it like this. Our chances of having a higher success rate overcoming the pressures in our lives and temptation of sin are increased by the number of small daily decisions we make in community. I'll say that again. Our chances, your chances of having a higher success rate of developing a new habit of overcoming sin in your life are increased by the number of small daily decisions we make in community. That's in the context that it's only by the grace of Jesus in your life, right? But how we walk that out and how we overcome and our personal responsibility is by the small daily decisions we make. And that when we use the people around us to help us implement those small healthy decisions in their daily life, over time, the growth you would experience would be unfathomable. That in a small step, you know, I hear, uh, you know, need a one small step for man. Or what is it? Anybody help me out? Mankind, right? Yeah. What about one small step in your life will be one giant leap for you? Your growth, your transformation. It might be a, a giant leap for your family. A small habit might be a giant leap in your marriage. A small habit might be a giant leap for your kids so that they don't get all the broken bustedness that you have. A small habit might be a giant leap in your faith life. Daily, 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 you know, just open up the Bible. Do you know if you don't know how to read the Bible, you can learn, but just open it up and start. It's not about legalistic or ritualistic, but small habits might have a giant leap. And the same thing, it always applies on the flip side. You see, we very rarely wreck our life one small decision, right? One small menial decision doesn't normally derail and wreck our life. But over a period of time, over a daily, daily decision, all of a sudden it builds up and we realize we're down a path and we go, how the heck did I end up here? Anybody ever had that in their life? I mean, it's just me. I think I need to have an honest someday, right? We make one small decision, daily, 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 and all of a sudden we wake up and go, how on earth did I get here? Either my relationships, my finances, my family, right? None of us ever start out ending up wanting to end up down that, down that road. And like I said, the same thing applies on the other side. Although we may not see, although you may not see transformation in your life, although you can in an instant because we have a God who can do it in the instant, and we have the God of miraculous. But on the other side of that, we, often, we don't often see transformation take place by one small decision. But those tiny small steps for mankind in the right direction to Jesus, to the life that Jesus calls us to, will see drastic changes over a period of time. Accountability and community, having a culture where we call each other out, and I Church, somebody talked about this before where church is the only place that shoots its own shoulders, right? Soldiers, not shoulders. We have to begin, and I, I can't do it. We have to do it. We have to begin to be so serious, so serious about developing a culture where we, we call each other in love, <coughs> not in shame. If we can remove shame from this community, we will see the Spirit of God land on us like never before. I want to ask, who in this room wants to see this, more of the Spirit of God land on their life? You cannot ask for that 
and not also be a part in this establishing healthy community. If you want that with one hand, you have to, in a sacrifice, give that with another hand. I'm going to develop healthy community. So accountability in community is not about shaming you when you slip up and that happens, but rather it's to encourage you that the small tiny steps, the small habits you're making in the right direction matter. Community is not to shame you. Community is to encourage you. That's what it means to be a prophetic people. So when you and I, when we see, so when next week you come back with all your habits, right? And I'm going to hold you all to it. We actually begin, because it's, it's easy enough to get a habit, right? To, to name one, whatever it may be. It's another thing to implement that. But we are to encourage each other. Northern Ireland, we're not very good at encouraging, are we? Because we're afraid the day that other side might win. You know that's deeply ingrained in us? Do you know it's deeply ingrained in me? Well, yeah, I'll maybe need to go see a counsellor, but we, get, we don't like to see the other, you know. I wanna, I'll ask myself this. Am I willing to see revival coming in any other church? Am I willing for the Spirit of God to fall in somebody else who we don't even know of out the road? And we bless what God's doing? Or do we begin, anyways, that's something we have to be asking. We have to be serious about developing a community. Not of, because remember, we have the blind spots. We need people to hold us to account. Not to shame us, but so that we can be encouraged to keep running the race that Paul talked about. Remember, Proverbs 11 says, Victory is won through many advisors. You getting to the mountaintops, you know, you getting to you know, breakthrough isn't going to happen on your own. It ha- has to involve other people. So the final thing, if we ever want to walk this out, is we need to do everything unto the Lord. Verse 17 says this. It says, And whatever you do, whatever in word and deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Or verse 23 in Colossians puts it like this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. You see, one sure way that you'll be able to add purpose to every tiny step you make, especially when you don't see the difference overnight, is because of who you do it for. Now when the things that that when we do things as people connect as people connected to Jesus, we play the long game. In a culture that says, you know, seven seconds is when everything meaningful happens, you know, we begin to see, you know, Seven years, 77 years, you know? Like those things that are the long game. Our culture is obsessed. Who here is obsessed with getting things now? Actually, let me put it. Who here is obsessed with getting everything yesterday? Right? We don't like to wait for now. We want it yesterday, right? You know? We've developed a habit that if something is broken, we simply either give up or we chuck it out. And I believe this begins to filter into every area of our lives. This begins to filter into our thinking and our desires. You see, whether it's in our attempt to adopt these new habits or to overcome, or maybe to re-engage in, in a relationship with family or friends, or whatever it may be, if we're honest, we begin to want it now. We want the quick fix. And if we're honest, do we serve and give in these areas of family, friends, jobs, whatever it may be, as if they're a gift to the Lord? Some of you may be going, you haven't seen where I work. I don't know if the Lord is there at all. We'll see if you're there. Christ in you may be the hope of glory. You may be going, you don't know me and my spouse went through this week. Or me and my friend had this bust up. 
You don't know the people I'm surrounded with. We have to serve in every capacity as if we're doing it unto the Lord. I'm not saying we stay in abusive relationships, but what I'm saying is anything that we've been gifted from God when it comes to job, finances, and relationships, we do it unto him. And if we see those things as from God, even if we don't like it, we actually see ourselves as stewards of those things. The habits help us to be better stewards of the things that God's already given us. So that when the pressure and the temptations to either get revenge on somebody to, who mistreated you or to, per, to perpetuate a toxic culture or even, you know, to call somebody out in a, in a shameful way, we decide that every area of our life is going to reflect the kingdom values. Remember earlier when I said that God allows us to be exposed to situations that aren't easy. In fact, I often and I firmly believe that God leads us into those things to see what we'll do with it. You see, he wants to see if you and I will take care of it, if we will value the person or we'll just chuck it out because it's not working or it requires a bit of work. Maybe your job is filled with toxic people. Maybe you're here. Are you seeking to be a good steward of your job? Or are you just seeking for something better to come up? Or maybe you're wondering why you're not getting the breakthrough in relationships and connections and friendships because actually you're just using someone to fill your loneliness. And we often wonder why God isn't blessing us with new things in our lives. Remember he says in Luke 16, if you're faithful in a little, then he can trust you in the lot. You see, you cannot, if you cannot be faithful, if you cannot develop the habits to care and value for what God has given you now, you will certainly not be able to sustain that greater thing he has for you in the future. God cannot pour out a new blessing if you're not willing to steward the current one he's given you. Count your blessings. How many of us are established in the habit of counting our blessings? Do you know, if God did pour everything out in you now, you wouldn't be able to handle it. Where he, has, where he has you now, he is preparing you for what's to come. Do you know where God has you now? What job, family, situation, whatever it may be, he's preparing you for the greater things he has for you. He has amazing jobs. He has friends. He has dreams. He has all sorts of things he wants to pour out on you. But too many of us are not willing to develop the habits that it takes to walk these ones out here and now. We're very wasteful. And what we do, because of our consumeristic society where we, where we believe in next day delivery where we can get it, or we buy now and pay for it later, we fall into believing that deep, meaningful relationships and change happens overnight. And deep fulfillment only comes through change. And, and what we do is we fail to see that actually deep fulfillment comes through change from hard work and progress, knowing that when we persevere, with what God has given us, we can walk out that transformed life with him. Why don't I invite those guys back up? And why don't you stand? Something to take away, you need to know that you're destined to win. Do you know you're on the winning side, right? Do you know Satan's been defeated, the kingdom of darkness is sorted with, but you and I, we're in the kingdom of light, we are on the winning side. But we're so easy, or we're so quick to say, yes, I'm on the winning team. But we never have the faith to believe that actually maybe God wants to do some winning in me. You're on the winning team and God wants to do something on the inside of you and in your life. We're destined to live a transformed life, to overcome any temptations and sin that comes our way. Because remember, like I said, God knows the power that he has placed in you is greater than any situation has to derail you. 
So what I'm going to do is these guys begin to just finish us off. I want to invite the prayer ministry team up if, if we have one this morning, we should. And in our community, we can get very, very good at not wanting to ask for help. But if you're here and you need, to, you need prayer to think clearly, you need prayer to act more decisively in your life, whether it's to, to live more accountably in life or it's to figure out how can you do things unto the Lord, I want to invite you to come forward. Now, we often can say, do you know what, I'll pray about it when I go home. Particularly in our cultures, we can go, priesthood of all believers, I believe God can pray and, and meet me in my room. But there's something that powerful that happens. Then when we step out and we ask somebody else to pray for us, for somebody else to lay hands on us. Do you know, if you're always just saying, I'll pray about it when I go home, that's your pride. Yes, God can meet you in your room. But actually, we need to develop a culture that people will come forward to overcome your pride. So, so Father, this morning, we, we thank you that you've called us to live a victorious life. You've called us to, to be transformed and to live out that transformation. And God, this morning, whatever we needed to, to develop, whatever we need to implement in our lives, God, I ask, would you come in your Holy Spirit and give us the power and the grace to do so that we would not do anything on our own strength because your grace is sufficient for us. So Lord, as we step out, as we ask for people to pray for us, Lord, I just pray, would you meet us like you did on that first Pentecost Sunday? Would you pour out your spirit? Would you pour out your power? Would you pour out your love? And would you meet us where we're at in every situation?
our service this morning. I'd encourage you to come and get some prayer. And these guys will linger around. And pray. Don't leave this morning if there is anything you just want prayer for. Um, other than that, have a great Sunday. Please remember to sign up.